Hi there, and welcome to the Umpal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode number 45, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Tyler Beard. Tyler is a very important figure in pipe making, as he has not only influenced many makers, but he began the conduit by which anyone can learn very specific techniques of pipe making. I am, of course, talking about Pipe Makers Forum. While Tyler no longer runs Pipe Makers Forum, see episode 26 for Kurt's interview, the spark caught fire and continues to burn today. This podcast is made possible by Quality Briar. Go to qualitybriar.com and take a look at the stunning list of pipe makers on the left-hand side. This is a high-quality, pipes-only operation run by Mr. Nick Miller. And as you can see, Nick specializes in high-end pieces. This is where you go when you're looking for that special piece you just can't access otherwise. As you know, highly collectible work doesn't hang around. So warning, if you see something you like there, you had better get it right away. Check out qualitybriar.com and let me know what you were able to get. The following podcast was recorded on March 23rd, 2013. Sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. Tyler, thank you so much for joining the call with me today. I really appreciate it, buddy. Um, first of all, let's get started with just who is Tyler Beard? Tell me a little bit about yourself, your age, where you're from, uh, your family, pets, stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Ollie, it's a pleasure to um, be on the program. I, I sure enjoy it myself, so I'm, I'm delighted to be a part of it. Um, my age is uh, in about two weeks, I'll be 40. So I've got a big birthday coming up. But I am originally from uh, Midland, Texas is where I spent most of my life from age 10 till about Three months ago, actually, I recently moved to Oklahoma City and uh, brought my family of seven up here. I've got a lovely wife, Shannon, and five kids, the oldest of which got her driver's license a few weeks ago, so that's been an adventure. Wow, that's and a big deal. Yeah, it is, not only because every time I see a, a, a wreck or a fender bender, my heart jumps into my throat, hoping not to recognize the car when I drive by. Yeah, but it's also a big deal because, my goodness, my auto insurance just shot through the roof. I knew it was going to get expensive, but I had no idea how expensive it would get. Yeah, but it's sure is fun seeing her have a good time. She loved it, and I remember how amazing it felt to get my driver's license. I thought I was free as a bird when I was that age, and she's sure enjoying it. So that's been big and fun. And work is actually new with the move. Uh, I think. It's relatively well known in the pipe community that I was a pastor for a long time of a church in Midland. There's 12 years. Um, what what might not be as familiar to folks that I know is that I have a degree in chemical engineering, and I recently switched back to using that degree. So my move to Oklahoma was instigated by a job change, and I, now I'm an engineer uh, for an oil company. So that is new and exciting and fun, and we are enjoying Oklahoma City and actually Edmond, Oklahoma, where we moved. So life is kind of 
full of big changes right here, right now with age and license and work and city and wow, so full of you, adventure. How how long were you a pastor? Twelve years, you said. Twelve years, seven seven of those I was the actual preaching pastor, and so um, yeah, a long time. And how long ago did you get your degree in chemical engineering? I did that right, you know, as a as a just an eighteen year old kid in school. I did chemical engineering at Texas Tech and graduated when I was twenty two and got out. And I did uh, engineering in the oil field for a little while, and uh, but going all the way through school, I wanted to do um, church related stuff, some ministry stuff, and so um, I, I did engineering right out of school just kind of as a, a break, um, I thought I would need to go to seminary in order to get that sort of church job that I wanted, but I didn't want to go to seminary straight out of college because I was so sick to study, and I didn't want studying my Bible to feel the same as studying my chemistry book had been, because I had gotten so very tired of that. And so I took a break from the notion of going to school and decided to be an engineer for a little while. And gosh, various... Um, circumstances conspired themselves, or I would say that, that God arranged it such that I uh, ended up as a preacher before I did seminary, and then I did seminary while I was doing that. So it was kind of a strange and adventurous journey where I ended up kind of where I wanted to be all along uh, in college and after, then ended up in in, in, a, in a church role. But um, that 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 changed a couple of months ago, and off we are here. So it's it's been quite a, I think, uh, unusual and fun and exciting and at times difficult journey, just like everyone's life, I suspect. What initially got you into chemical engineering? Well, you know, it, I like I was probably like most eighteen-year-olds. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, I was decent at math and science. Um, my dad is a chemical engineer, so that's probably going to be the, the number one factor. You know, dad's advice was, well, if you have no idea, go for this one. It's a good one. And I actually enrolled as a mechanical engineer. That's sort of a funny story. I, I, I basically was a sellout. I went in as mechanical engineering because I thought that sounded like uh, something that was really interesting. I liked mechanical things. And um, went, I went to a parent-student orientation in the summer with my dad up to Texas Tech, which is where he also went to school. And after the mechanical engineering orientation was over, he said, hey, let's go look at the chemical engineering building. I haven't been in that building for 20 years. So we walked over there, and we accidentally bumped into the head of the department. And he got to talking to me and, and dad, and he asked me, was I a chemical engineering uh major, and I said, no, mechanical, and he said, well, that will never do, and he asked me a few questions related to my grades and such, and he said, well, are they offering you a scholarship over there? I said, yes. He asked me how much. I told him. He said, I'll double it, and so I said, okay, and so that's kind of how I ended up on some level with the chemical engineering degree with I did it for the money. <laughs> wow, that's that's really fascinating. What a great story. Um, can you, what's, for you anyway, what is what is one of the really uh, more interesting aspects of chemical engineering? 
That's a good question. Um, I think the, the the things that are well, the, the angle I want to place on the question probably isn't the one that that you mean. But that, that's okay. I, Go for it. Okay. Well, because all of us interact on a daily basis with chemistry and chemicals, one of the kind of funny things about being more familiar than most with chemistry is just how much misperception there is and um, how, uh, you know, obviously and naturally ignorant most of us are about chemistry and chemicals because we're just not trained. But, you know, people are so scared that uh, of chemicals and they're, you know, oh, there's a chemical spill on the interstate. And that's everyone's ears perk up and they're scared to death of what might happen. But, you know, if the water truck turns over on the interstate, that's a chemical spill. And so it's it's sort of interesting as someone who is very familiar with chemicals and chemistry, how the rest of the world is scared to death of what you do. Um, and it's, you know, cooking is also chemistry. Um, you make dinner. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's sort of a funny occupation to see how others respond to it. Um, just because it's, it's certainly not something that everyone's super familiar with. And I, I would and, imagine, and, go ahead. I was going to say, in, in, in everyone's defense, obviously there are some very scary chemicals, and you know it can certainly be dangerous. So I, it's not foolishness to be scared of chemicals. I don't mean it that way, but it, it can be humorous at times how, how people um, describe and discuss things that um, you know they're they're scared to death of and don't realize that. You know, they have much more dangerous things under their sink right now that they're going to use to spray on something tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine, too, that there's probably a, a kind of limitless fascination with all the different things that you can do with with the degree that you have and, and the studies that you do and the research and whatnot. So, you know, everything from even in your personal life from, you know, what do I use in the kitchen to clean stuff to what am I going to cook tonight? So I, I would imagine that, you know, from your angle, um, chemistry's because it's everywhere, um, that it's, it's, this is probably just a, an amazing kind of magical, if you will, uh, fascination with the world itself. Well, you, you give me way too much credit for understanding chemistry better than I do. I think, um, you know, as uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not so good at it that I'm, you know, kind of constantly evaluating the chemistry of what's going on in my life. That's for sure. I, I've forgotten a whole lot more than I remember about school. And it turns out that as an engineer uh, in an oil company, um, probably 90% of what I do, um, at least in my current role, which is I'm, I'm what's called a facilities engineer, and what that is is someone who designs and oversees the construction of all the stuff that's on top of the ground that allows oil and gas to get to a market to be sold. So after other people and 
engineers get involved in drilling the holes for the wells and then um, finishing and completing the holes so that the wells produce as much oil and gas as possible. And then other engineers come and get it, get it out of the ground with pumps and lifts and all those sorts of things. They give it to me and I do the things necessary to purify it and get it to the proper conditions so that it can be sold for as much money as possible. And I help build and design the pipelines that move it to where it goes to get sold. So, um, so I deal with steel on top of the ground and about 90% of what I do is um, oversee construction projects and oversee consulting engineers that do all the heavy lifting. I just um, have my role as a, uh, as, as an engineer to oversee mostly. So I joke that I don't think what I do is really that special. I think, you know, probably 99% of the population can do what I do. My degree just gives me the ticket to be able to be the one who gets to do it. So, um, it's, uh, it's, it's not actually that, that difficult. So it's, <laughs> well, it's not as romantic as it sounds <laughs> or, as, or as you made it sound. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to keep believing that it's actually more romantic than that. It is a, a, an amazing kind of uh, fantastical thing that you do. And I'm also going to keep believing that you're, you're a lot smarter than you're giving yourself credit for. But uh, let's, well, let's move on from... Anytime I, I get discouraged at work, I'm going to call you then that's and a, have you give me a pep talk. That's a good idea. I think you should do that. So uh, let's move on from, from drilling holes in the ground to uh, drilling holes in, in briar. Tell me, um, well, when did you first start actually smoking pipes, first of all? Um, about 1999 or 2000, somewhere in there, I first started smoking a pipe. My, my journey to pipes is like a lot of others. I got into cigars in the early 90s when the big cigar craze sort of started. Uh, that's when I was in college and started smoking cigars now and again then. And But out of college, uh, I moved back to Midland, Texas, where I was. Uh, from and ended up starting a little cigar business with a buddy where we um, got uh, tobacco licenses um, and put cigars in lots of country clubs and bars and anywhere like that where there was sort of naturally a cigar market. And so we had eight or ten locations, something like that, around town where we'd put cigars out and sell them. And um, because of that interest in cigars, my mother-in-law mailed me a bunch of pipes one day. She had been helping her sister clean up her attic, and her sister's deceased husband had been a pipe smoker, and they wondered what they should do with his pipes, and they ended up mailing them to me. And that got me interested in pipes, so I started smoking some of those pipes, and I'm kind of a researcher by nature. I love to read and study up on things I'm interested in. And I uh, went to alt.smokers.pipes to learn about pipes and started getting just lost in that whole world and loved it ever since. So about 13 years ago, I started smoking a pipe. And when did you carve your first pipe and what was that like? Very soon after that, I carved my first pipe. These pipes that I got from my mother-in-law were, I learned very quickly, not high-grade pipes. Um, they were um, 
nice, but they, they were just sort of normal, what you'd expect uh, most people to own sort of pipes. And as I studied online, I was stunned to learn that people would pay $100 or more for a pipe. That was just sort of an amazing notion to me. And I wondered what in the world is it like to smoke one of these pipes that's so expensive. Of course, I had no idea that $100 would actually be on the low end of things once you started getting into more expensive pipes. But I just thought, man, what does a $100 pipe smoke like? Um, how, how much better must it be? What does a $150 pipe smoke like? And I just absolutely couldn't afford to, uh, to, to buy a pipe like that. And I was under the mistaken notion as someone who was brand new to things that the magic, since like a straight grain pipe was, was way more expensive, that must be where the magic rested. And I was also under this mistaken notion that if you bought a plateau block of wood, that would be the difference. That would provide the straight grain. That would be what made it expensive. And that would make one of these super high quality smokes. So if I'll just buy one of these plateau kits, then I will for sure have a pipe um, that is better than all of these that I currently own. And so I ordered from Pimo a plateau pipe kit so that I could have my perfect pipe. And that was the only way I could afford that kind of wood was to pay 30 bucks for a drilled out block and scrape it into something that looks sort of like a pipe for myself. And I had no idea if I would be able to do it. I had never done anything artistic. I had never done anything woodworking. I had no tools. I had nothing. But I wanted to know what it was like to smoke a straight grain plateau block pipe because I thought that was the stuff. And so that kit came in, and I went to Home Depot and bought some files and I just scraped and scraped on that plateau block until it was shaped like a pipe. And it took me about 40 hours of scraping with files. And then I went to Sam's Club and bought a grinding wheel, a grinder, bench grinder, and put some buffing wheels on that thing. And I tried to make it shiny. And I ended up with what looks like everybody else that makes a pipe's first pipe. And boy, was I proud of that thing. And I had such a fun time doing it. Do you still so have that pipe? How I do. I'm looking at it right now. I have <laughs> my pipe rack right in front of me. That's great. So when did yeah, you, when and, when and how did you start making pipes as more, more than just a hobby? Well, pretty fast. Um, you know, back, I, this was still 2000 when I made my first pipe. Almost you know, within months of getting interested in smoking a pipe, I, I made this one. And I I probably sold my first pipe that same year. I don't remember the exact date, but it was very soon that I sold my first pipe. Um, um, uh, well, actually, we'll probably look the next year because for Christmas that year, my wife bought me a wood lathe for pipe making. I remember that very, I was very excited to get a wood lathe. And that's what I started with. I didn't have a drill press. I went 
a wood lathe, and I had that lathe for a month and a half before I could afford to buy any tools or a chuck for it. So I would I would sit out in the garage and try to turn stuff with a with a Phillips, I mean with a flathead screwdriver, <laughs> which probably was really dangerous, <laughs> but it's all I had, and I couldn't stand not to use it. So I, uh, I I I guess probably in 2001 was when I really started being able to drill them myself, and I sold like my third or fourth pipe. Um, I, I, I didn't intend to sell it. I just would take pictures of what I was doing and put them on alt smokers pipes to get some feedback from the guys. And someone emailed me after I posted one and said, would you sell me that one? And I said, well, gosh, okay, sure. I needed buyer money. So I sold it. And, um, that was, that was sort of, that was sort of the beginning of it all, and, and uh, so it was pretty fast that I started selling them. Uh, you know, I'm not—I don't know if I would have done it that way now, but back then, I, I, you know, I wasn't really thinking through this as a business, or I didn't have any sort of grand aspirations. I just really liked to make pipes, and I needed some money, and someone wanted that one, so I sold it. So that was—that was the beginning. Who were some of your early influences? I have always really thought that the Danish aesthetic was uh, the superior one. Uh, I I know you're not supposed to say it that way because I know that most folks would say beauty is an eye beholder. Um, that I I don't fully ascribe to that notion. Um, now, that doesn't really matter in regards to which type of pipes were my major influence, but I've always thought that the Danish aesthetic was just great. I, I really appreciated how they had a more unified view, it seemed, on the pipe where the pipes uh, stem, the shank, and the bowl all had very fluid and unified lines and form as opposed to how I would describe maybe some other schools as those being very distinct where they seem sort of arbitrarily to stick this stem into that shank which happens to be attached to that bowl shape. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of unity to the design. And so that's just kind of the stuff that I really liked. So I would just pour over pipe in the back of magazines over and over and over and stare at any advertisement for S. Bang or Tom L. Tang. And I would do internet searches. And back then, gosh, in 2000, 2001, there just wasn't a lot of pipe stuff on the internet yet. It was still pretty young. And, um, you know, all about smokers, that pipe that I mentioned earlier, um, was about it for quite a while. And I would just look and look at all of the pipes that I could look at, and I just was convinced that the Danes were on to the way that to do it. And so I've always looked at kind of the usual suspects over there with El Tang and Bang and Nord and Eperson and G.S. Konovitz and all of those guys. And that's, that's kind of who influenced my notion of what pipes should look like. 
if those were your early influence, um, would you say that your your style from from when you began to now has has changed? And if so, how? Um, I I don't think it's changed too much. But, um, my pipes probably look different, um, the early ones compared to the late ones. But that's mostly just my ability to get them to look like I want to. Um, I, I, I still really enjoy the styles that I've, I, I started out liking. Now, from a shape-to-shape perspective or with different materials, I definitely have had some changes in, in preference. For instance, I used to not like bamboo at all, and then I bought some just to kind of fiddle with it as a, a, a shank material and fell in love with this stuff because it's so lightweight and it's it provides a nice, great smoke, and so I and I began to really enjoy a look that I didn't like until I kind of appreciated it um, for its function. And now I I, I love bamboo pipes; uh, they're some of my favorites. So there have been some small changes like that, but the stuff I, you know, have sort of pursued to making the style I've pursued. The whole time has been the same. I, I would say that when the Japanese carvers came along uh, to the kind of U.S. awareness seven or eight years ago, um, or however long ago that was, that Sykes started introducing some Japanese carvers to the U.S. market, um, that they they really opened my eyes to the potential of asymmetry. Certainly, the engineer in me cannot help but pursue symmetry a lot, <laughs> and and they kind of blew my mind with some of their asymmetrical work. I uh, I don't always like it, but I sure do appreciate it. And um, so I've I've tried to force myself to stretch in some asymmetrical areas, even though that's sort of against my natural inclination. Who were your mentors along the way? Oh gosh, uh, lots of lots of pipe makers have been exceedingly generous. That's one of the really great things about this this hobby is just how how kind and helpful so many of the pipe makers are. You know, if, if you're a, a someone who wants to be a pipe maker, you can research on the web and find out who all the best pipe makers are in the world. And then if you go to a show like Chicago where lots of them will be, it's just so neat how willing to talk to you those guys that you admire um, are. They they, they, they kind of seem like rock stars to you if you're an aspiring pipe maker, but you find out they're very willing to sit down and teach you a thing or two. And so I have done that with so many guys. Early on, um, probably the person that helped me the most was Michael Lindner. Um, I would talk to him on the phone um, a, a fair amount. I'd, I'd, I'd go out in my shop and make some pipes and end up with lots of questions, and I'd call Michael and pick his brain on those questions, and he was very gracious and generous to ask and answer them for me. Um, of course, I've taught... Been a, a, a lot of time talking to Todd Johnson as well. Todd, um, Todd and Michael were a, a lot more approachable back then. I mean, 
I say that uh, they, they certainly are approachable now. I just mean they weren't quite the rock stars they are now back then. They had only been making pipes a year or two whenever I was getting into it. So I was calling guys that weren't too far down the learning curve for me. They were way ahead of me on their ability to execute great pipes, but it was, uh, it wasn't as intimidating as it might be if I was just starting up now to call those two guys, but they were great. And I would go to, when I went to Chicago, um, Michael sat down with me for probably an hour, an hour and a half, looked over everything I brought, you know, said, this is good, that's not good, do this, don't do that. And that was just amazing. And and you can um, um, I very much date my pipes by pre and post my first Chicago show. Um, they took a huge leap of quality the instant I got back from my first Chicago show because of Michael's critique and help and review. And when he told me, don't do this, do that, he would then say, and here's how you do it. You go get a drill bit, grind this, you know, chuck it up here, do that. And he wouldn't just tell me I needed it to be different. He would tell me exactly how he did it to make it different. And so that was huge. Tom Elpine was very gracious and generous and spent some time with me at my first Chicago show. Um, like I said, Todd Johnson. Todd, I've talked to a lot through the years. Um, and, and so it's, you know, I, I've heard enough of your podcast solely to know it's sort of the usual suspects. All those guys have always been so very generous. And um, so it, it's, it's a neat community and I, I I, I owe them a bunch because they they taught me a ton. All those guys, and I'm sure I'm forgetting several guys, but pretty much any pipe maker who was making pipes before me has helped me. <laughs> that's quite a uh, all star cast that uh, that you had there. That's that's fantastic that those guys uh, were so giving and so willing to uh, to help you out and. I agree that the pipe community is is very forthcoming with um, information and and help and just a, a general sense of um, hey we're all in this together kind of thing and and it's a great thing. It is, it is, and I I, I have to think it's pretty unique. I mean, I haven't spent too much time in other hobby worlds, but gosh, this is this seems to be a great group of people, and the pipe makers in particular are just amazingly generous. Are you going to be in Chicago this year? I sure hope so. I'm. I'm I, I would like to be. Um, I, I. I. I broached the subject with my wife the other day to, to tell her that I was trying to make that work out, and I. I don't know. As I mentioned um, a minute ago, I have a family of seven, which is to say five kids, the oldest of which, as I mentioned, just got a driver's license. So I'm in the throes of a very busy life. But um, Chicago is very high on my list of things that I love to do. So I am going to do my best, but I'm probably not going to know till a week or two before what my life's going to be like to see if I can go. Right. Well, I hope to see you there. I'll, I'll be there, and uh, I hope you get to make it. Um, how are your pipes marked and graded, and has that changed over the years? It has changed over the years. Um, I've, uh, I've always marked them Tyler Lane, which is my first and middle name. Um, and 
I, for the first 10 years, just signed them with uh, a bit in my Dremel. I broke down and bought a stamp about two years ago, and it just says Tyler Lane and block letters. Nothing fancy. I uh, I try to stamp it as inconspicuously as possible because I don't want I don't want you to see the stamp when you look at the type. I want you to see the the shape and the grain and the the finish. Um, and I, so I always stamp it on the bottom. Um, and I have never graded. Um, I just haven't gotten comfortable with that process because I, I I'm sure. If I have made a thousand pipes someday, things will start to fall into categories for me, but I'm pretty hard on myself when I do this work, and I think every pipe would have gotten a slightly nuanced and different grade in my mind, and so it, there's no way to capture how I think about them exactly. But um, I did, for the first 75 or 80 pipes I made, stamp the number that that pipe was. So if if someone out there has a pipe that's uh, signed by hand and then has, say, the number 54 on it, that's the 54th pipe I made. Um, but now I just stamp with that Tyler Lane um, in block letters, and then I have a little stamp that says USA that I stamp underneath that, and that's all I put on it. I like that. I, I, I actually enjoy that kind of uh, holistic approach to... Uh to putting a, a, a mark on a pipe. I, I dig that a lot. What would yeah, you, thanks. what would you say is the most enjoyable part about pipe making for you? I, I think the, the true answer is the people. <laughs> um, I, you're probably asking what part of actually making a pipe is the most fun, but I, I think the answer is the people. I, I, I don't, I'm, 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 if, if I was doing this in a vacuum, I don't think it would be near as much fun as it is. Um, I just love all the interaction that, that, and friends and relationships that come from it. Um, so that's probably number one for me. Now, to be more technical with what you're probably asking, shaping is the most fun. When I have uh, a raw block in my hand and I'm going to the 36 grit wheel, that time on the 36 grit wheel is absolutely the most fun when you're seeing it go from this gnarly, um, you know, chunk of wood to something that has uh, some some shape and some flow and some some lines and some beauty to it. That's that's the fun part. Speaking fun speaking part. of that process, how do you start? your pipe making process? Do you begin on paper or on the block or something else? I, I begin, well, that's, that's, that's actually a, a strange question for me to answer. And here's why I have recently been, um, drilling second, shaping first and drilling second. That is a skill that I've wanted to work on and develop for years and years. But, um, I, I, I just never had. It, it's it's hard to um, risk uh, a, a block of briar on learning a method like that when you know for sure you can do it your old way and end up with a pipe that is 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 good and, and people would enjoy owning. So um, 
I, I just recently um, spent a week in Nashville with Todd uh, Johnson at his shop, and that was one of my main objectives. I wanted to um, be very comfortable at the end of that week of shaping first and drilling second, and, and I definitely, Todd pulled that off for me. That was a great week. I learned a ton. It was a lot of fun. I was in there with Grant Batson, Steve Morissette, and Steve Liskey actually came and visited the same week I visited. So, man, that was a hoot. But I, since do, going to Todd's a few months ago, um, I don't do anything on block or paper. I just start shaping along the the lines that the grain kind of gives. And, and then once you sort of see how the inside of the block's grain behaves, you kind of go, oh, now it sort of looks like an egg. I'm going to go from there with that. Um, and so there's nothing that involves a pencil. But before, a few months ago, when I uh, started doing it that way, I had always just written on the block. I would hold the block in my hand and turn it every which way and look at the grain and look at the plateau surface to try to interpret what was happening in the part in the middle where I couldn't see and and I would just sketch a profile on the side of the pipe and then I would draw the lines as I needed to drill them, chuck it up and drill them and then I would shape after I had the holes in it and that that's all the drawing or planning I did was on the side of the block. Do you do commissions? Sort of. Um I I find that I, I don't enjoy having a long list of people that I owe something to. Um, and since I'm, I'm, I'm a hobbyist and with five kids, I, you know, I'm not super consistently out in the shop. So it, it doesn't take too many commissions before I've got, you know, possibly several months worth of commissions. Um, even a year's worth of commissions is not a whole lot of people on a list for me. It's because I just don't produce that many pipes because of the nature of you know, my life circumstances. So, so I I don't pay commissions per se. What I do is if someone wants a pipe, I would love to do with them about it. So um, we so people call or email me, and I have a list. So I what I say is I'll put them on the list, and so I'll I'll write down everything that they want and. Um, and all their contact information. And what I tell them is, if I ever make anything that even reminds me of your description, you have first dibs. I will call you or email you, and it's um, yours before it's offered in any way to the general public. And if you don't want it, no big deal. If you do want it, it's yours. And so that if someone wants an egg or, or something like that, I go out, if I'm in the shop and I start the process to shape a pipe and I decide this looks like an egg, an egg comes out when I'm done, I email that person and give them a shot at it. So it's not really a commission, but it's, it's sort of a first right of refusal list, I guess. And so that's how I handle it so that I don't feel obligated. Um, I tell people when they go on the list, I may make this pipe next week. I may make it six months from now, I may never make it. Um, I, I, I want you to have this pipe, so I'd be shocked if never make it is true, but I just don't know how long it'll be, and I don't want to set up false expectations and disappoint you. So so you might 
get a call out of the blue from me a year from now. And um, it's your pipe if you want it. If that's not the time for you, if you can't afford it right then, or if, you know, you've changed your mind and um, moved on to other preferences, no big deal. Um, but you get the first shot at it. So that's that's how I handle commission. And that, that makes that makes a lot of sense with the way that you approach pipe making, um, you know, because you're going into the block and allowing the block to to kind of figure out what it's going to be. Um, it, it makes sense that your commissions would work that way. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I've done commissions that way since before this method. Um, uh, but there's something about the. Well, there's two things I would say about it. One is I have the luxury of doing it this way because I'm not putting, you know, food on my, the table for my kids. Um, if I was doing this full time, I would take commissions because <laughs> that's how you know you can pay the bills. Um, so, A, I get to do it this way because I have the luxury of being a hobbyist. Um, but, I, you know, I just found also as a hobbyist that it just was, not near as much fun to sort of chase someone else's ideal of what a pipe should look like. And I, I don't begrudge anyone that. I totally understand it. I mean, I, I totally understand the desire to, you know, call up a pipe maker and have him make just what you want. But to me, it's not near as fun to be the maker on that side. I, I, I don't think that's true for everyone. I think that's just a quirk in me. And so, to come up with this method so as to, you know, not have to do something I don't enjoy and not, you know, disappoint people because it takes me so long to get something I told them I'd get two for them. Have you ever made a pipe that was really hard to let go? Sure. I'm I'm sort of a romantic, I guess. I, I, I kind of fall in love with all of them. You know, while I'm making it, I... I uh, I work on them and I, I try so hard to make each one of them just so and um, I, I sort of fall in love with all of them. I, 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 I sell them though usually because I sit there and tell myself, well, would I rather have $400 or this pipe? <laughs> and um, I, or, or I say to myself, would I um, take $400 out of my pocket right now for this pipe? And I, I decide no most of the time because, you know, I've got three kids that need braces this year. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so yeah. I sell them. Um, I just can't, you know, you, you've heard a lot of pipe makers, I'm sure, over the years say something similar. I can't afford my own pipes. Um, and, and certainly that was especially true for 12 years of being a pastor. So, so yeah, I sell them just because the yeah, there's no way else to buy a briar and ebonite for me. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, on some level, I'm, maybe I'm a weirdo, but I, I have trouble selling almost all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I know that feeling. And, and one of my sons, he's 10 right now. Um, a lot of times when, when I make a pipe and show it to him, the first thing out of his mouth is, well, well Dad, can I have that one? You know, <laughs> and it's just like, oh man, don't put me in that spot. You know, and he, you know he happens That's to my... like a lot of what I do, and so it's it's a it's a difficult spot to be in. But but yeah, I know I know that feeling when you just kind of uh, 
you know, you, you really dig something that, that you just produced and you spent a lot of time on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you understand that. I, I, I feel sort of like that's not always true for pipe makers, but golly, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard for me. And my son is actually, um, loves pipes too. He, 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 he talked me into one at one point. So my son has a pretty darn nice pipe. <laughs> that's a that's a good start to a collection that's great <laughs> tell me how you started how and when you started um pipe makers forum and how all all of that came to be and and um how you handed it over and all that good stuff yeah sure um well in about 2002 ish or so so i've been making pipes for a year and a half probably at that point I um I had I I had I started writing down on my website how I made pipes um with the intent of showing other people how to make pipes. And the reason for that was I was getting a fair number of emails asking me how I did this or how I did that. Um I think when it comes to new people coming into a hobby wanting to learn how to do something, it's easiest to ask the people that are only one or two steps ahead of them than to ask the masters, right? I mean, it's intimidating to talk to Bo Nord when you've been making pipes for two months. Um, it's a whole lot easier to talk to the guy that's, you know, only a year ahead of you. So I was pretty engaged on, on alt smokers' pipes. And by then, I think there might have been a forum or two that had popped up, um, Smokers forms. I don't know when all those had started, but so there was there was starting to be a more broad pipe community, and I was pretty engaged with it online and posted my pipes as I made them, so people saw me as a pipe maker. And when people got interested, people go, "I'm, I'm going to email that Tyler guy and ask him how he did that." Since it's not like I said, you know, near as intimidating to email someone who knew at it. So I got a fair number of emails asking me how I did things. And you start to get the same questions over and over in that context. And so I decided, gosh, instead of writing this for the fifth time to a different person, I'm just going to write it and put it on my website. And from now on, when I get this question, I'll just point people to that answer on my website. And so I started writing up how I made pipes. And largely the instigator for what I wrote about next was, a question that I got next. So someone would email me, ask me how to do this, and I'd give as detailed an answer as I could offer, and then I'd post it to my website. So on my website, I started to have a pretty good repository of pipe-making information. And, um, oh, you know what? I really neglected somebody when you asked about the mentors earlier because really how I learned to make pipes is from Trevor Talbert. And gosh, Trevor, if you ever hear this, I apologize for not saying your name first of all, because Trevor had a website right when I started getting interested in making pipes that showed how he did it. And I basically learned the nuts and bolts of pipe making from Trevor's website. And he had great write-ups and lots of pictures, and it was a very good website, and that's really how I learned to make pipes. And when I was asking those other guys, like, Michael Lindner and Todd Johnson, I was asking questions on how to get better, but Trevor taught me how, basically. And and so when I was putting my website up, um, it was it was um, 
largely because Trevor had decided to pull his down. And there was sort of a big vacuum for pipe-making information, and I knew how much Trevor's website had um, meant to me. And honestly, I, I wouldn't have been able to figure out how to make pipes if it wasn't for Trevor's website. Um, and so uh, Trevor had pulled his down, and the reason he'd taken it down was because the, the website that was you know, sort of the idea would be so that you get would answer people's questions that wanted to learn pipe making. That, it doesn't do that. What happens when you put up pipe making instruction is it only generates more questions for you. So Trevor pulled this down because he couldn't afford, as a full-time pipe maker, to take the time to answer all the questions that were flooding into his inbox because of his website that told how to make pipes. And so I, knowing that Trevor had that issue, as I was creating my website to kind of fill the vacuum that Trevor's absence um, created, I really quickly in the process decided I need to put up a forum to avoid the same problem that Trevor had. And when people have questions, um, instead of it, instead of having more and more emails come to me, which I'm trying to sort of stop with this website, I need to send the question to a public place so that over time I don't have to be the one who does all the answering, um, but a community might pop up to do the answering. And you kind of naturally will hopefully not overwhelm my inbox like Trevor's got overwhelmed. So, um, gosh, that was a very complicated answer. But I started Pipe Makers Forum because I wanted to kind of help out the new guys the way Trevor had helped me and I wanted to avoid the issue that Trevor had of too much email and so I thought a forum might be the answer to avoiding that problem and so I started Pipemakers Forum. And that's At the time, that's... Go ahead. That, and it's been a, a huge help for just an innumerable amount of, of pipe makers over the years. When did you, when did that begin? That was 2003 is when um, I started the forum, I'm pretty sure. And it wasn't on its own domain at the time. It was just a back-end thing on my website that was, you know, right alongside all the pipe-making instruction um, I had. So it was all on TigerLanePipes.com. And uh, that was about 2003, and it, it went... For about two years, um, I, I did it like that. Um, and then it was 2005 when I decided that because my five kids were itty-bitty and life was you know, so kid-centric and my poor wife was losing her mind with all these little kids, but I needed to back away from pipe-making because I, I could go out in the shop with the intention of spending an hour and look up and I'd been out there four hours and I'd be, oh no. <laughs> and and so I, I just couldn't do pipes in moderation very well, so I decided not at all was the answer, at least for a time. I backed out of pipe making for in 2005 and I did not want uh, Pipe Makers Forum to, to die. And, and honestly, um, backing out of pipe making was largely backing out of Pipe Makers Forum too, because I probably spent every bit as much time working on the forum as I did working on pipes. I, I spent thousands of hours getting Pipe Makers Forum 
because um, I had to kind of teach myself how to do install all the forum stuff and get in the code and modify it to CDEF. And so backing away from pipes and pipe making was as much backing away from pipe makers form as anything. And so so when I decided I was not going to sell pipes anymore, I decided I also needed to pass pipe makers form on to somebody else. And um, so Kurt Hun was the one that um, one of the guys that emailed me that was interested and he had an IT background and he had his own server in his own house that he was hosted on. And I thought, well, gosh, that guy knows a whole lot more about it than I do. And so I, I gave it all to Kurt and we, uh, we bought pipemakersforum.com and we talked about which domain to get to put it on, to spin it off to be its own thing. And we, we ended up with deciding pipemakersforum was the answer. And so, so Kurt went out and registered that domain, and we uh, emailed him all the databases, and he uh, installed it on there, and that was that was the beginning of PipeMaker's form as it's known today, and that was 2005. Wow, very cool. And I I know that um it's just it's a fantastic resource. There's just a a, a ton of info there, um, not to mention you know the back and forth that you get. Uh, that you get to see from from person to person. Um, so, if, you know, if uh, if anyone who's listening to this that that are budding pipe makers, you know, check that out. Obviously, if you haven't already. But um, it's interesting too, just to hear uh, the history, how how you started it. Um, you know, what the cause of that was, and then uh, how it moved on from you that way, and where it resides now. Very very good stuff. Um, what particular shape of pipe do you like to smoke more than any other? That's 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 an interesting question because kind of my favorite shapes are not what I smoke the most because um, I, I kind of have aesthetically favorite shapes and, um, and then I have sort of functionally favorite shapes and so my my functionally favorite shapes are largely driven by the fact that when I smoke it's usually out in the shop. And so I prefer really lightweight, straight pipes with texture. And the reason for those criteria is um, when I'm working on a pipe, I'm sort of leaned over looking down at something in my lap or very near my lap all the time. And with a straight pipe, I can sort of cock it out the side of my mouth and keep the smoke from coming up into my eyes. With a bent pipe, I, I struggle to find a comfortable way to hold it in my mouth and still keep the smoke out of my eyes. So I like straight when I'm working in the shop because I can get it out of my eyes. Um, I like it to be textured because in the shop, um, you know, I've got all sorts of tools laying on the bench and grill bits and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I set my pipe down a fair amount. And if I was setting down a really nice smooth, I'd be dinging and, and, and you know, messing up the finish on on a really nice pipe, but if it's rusticated or blasted, it doesn't bother me near as badly to set it down on a pile of drill bits. And I like it to be lightweight because I'm working with my hands, so I need to clench it. So I have several straight bamboo shanked, you know, a little Apple and a little Dublin. Um, that's, uh, those two pipes, uh, to, I, I, I probably smoke them four times as much as anything else in my collection just because functionally they're just right for being out in the shop. Um, so, so that's what I, that's what I smoke the most. 
Um, my favorite shape uh, to make, for some reason, I like long shanked egg. I just I, I make, seems like every other pipe I make is an egg. I, I, maybe that's the lack of creativity, but I just love long shanked eggs. Um, and I've made a fair number of those. I love bloatfish. I love billiards. I, I don't know. I, I like pipes, so I kind of like them all. <laughs> I can understand that. So, uh, do you have what's what's your collection like? Do you have a, a fairly large collection, or, or do you keep it small, or what? I don't. You know, I you know I've never really had money for pipes, um, and any money I've made with pipe making just immediately gets turned back into tools so that um, I can sandblast now, you know, and you start to sell a few pipes and you save up for a big compressor and a sandblast cabinet and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I've, I've, I, I have not ever really had, um, uh, pipes other than my own actually until, until just recently. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the pipe rack that's right in front of me that I keep out in my shop where I smoke and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pipes on it. And I made all of them because um, I screwed up on something. <laughs> and, and so I, I mostly smoke my own pipes. But recently, I have I've, I've broadened my collection, and I don't keep those out in the shop. So that's why the ones I'm looking at right now are all ones I made. But I, I, I recently um, have added four or five pipes that... Um, that that I didn't make, and man, am I excited about those! I in 2005, this is kind of a fun story. I traded pipes with Todd Johnson, and we we made a trade at the Chicago Pipe Show. And Todd took a pipe that was on my table, and he said, "I'll make you one when I get home." And uh, so I said, "Sure." And so we we made that deal, and uh, he he finally paid his end of the bargain when I was at his house a few months ago. <laughs> so um, those eight years, my end of the trade really worked out well for me. Um, the appreciation of the value of Todd's pipes was a, a great deal for me. So uh, I, I traded him a much less expensive pipe than I ended up getting out of the deal. Well, not, not to mention I, he's, I, been, he's been working on it for eight years, right? That's true. That's true. He has, he has probably spent several hours every week that whole time. No, actually, I watched him make it from beginning to end, and so I know exactly how much time he spent on it. But uh, Which yeah, is a, a fantastic process to watch, isn't it? The guy is amazing. Oh, it is. He is. Absolutely. He is, he is a phenomenal talent uh, as a pipe maker, no doubt about it. And, boy, uh, speaking of um, learning how to make pipes, he, he sure has taught a lot of people that that skill, and um, he, he's a great teacher. He, he does a good job of, of showing people what it means to make a high-grade pipe. For sure. So yeah, yeah. Sure. So and I've so I've got Todd. I've got Grant now. I've got Pete Pivos. So basically, I have pipes. But I've made and pipes from Nashville. That's my collection. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty nice collection you got there, though. Very it nice. Is. There are a few other pipe makers that are in Tyler's collection that he wanted me to mention. Those folks are James Gilliam, a new American carver living in Germany, 
Nate King from Indianapolis, and Scott Anderson from San Francisco. So we wanted to make sure that we got those guys in there as well. Okay, back to the podcast interview. What are some of your uh, favorite tobaccos? You know, I have a really wide variety in my cellar. I tend to buy two or three of something and then stash it away. Um, but uh, I, I kind of, I've kind of gotten in a rut lately. It's a pleasant rut, but I smoke Haddon's Delights far more than anything else. Um, I love that stuff, and I've I've liked it for a long time. Fortunately, so I'm smoking stuff that's you know seven or eight years old whenever I'm smoking it. So that's great. Um, so I smoke Haddon's usually um, when it's warm out. And for whatever reason, and I've heard other people say this, and I don't know what it is about it, but I switched to a different blend during the wintertime, and that is Penzance. So but I think that if I could just get about 20 pounds of each of those stashed away in my closet, I would be good for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are both really, uh, really good stuff. Um, what is coming up in your workshop that you're really excited about? You got anything on the bench right now that's, that, that you're – Really uh, can't wait to get back on. Well, I tell you, the thing in my workshop that I'm really excited about right now is the workshop. I am in the throes of rebuilding. Having just moved um, three months ago, um, I bought a house that had a separate one-car garage, and it was just um, three bare walls and a garage door on the other wall. And so I have been installing cabinets and a workbench and I uh, am about to hang my shaping motor um, for my sanding disc and I I ordered a a new lathe and sold my old one um, as part of the process here and so what I'm most excited about on my bench is my bench. I am excited about building out a new space. I probably still two months away from being able to make a pipe in here just because, um, you know, I can't get out here as often as I'd like. But it's going to be a cool shop. I, I told several of my buddies, my pipe-making buddies that I talk to all the time, that I'm, it's my goal to have the best pipe-making workshop that produces four pipes a year in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me one thing about yourself that most people probably don't know or would never guess. That's a great question. Um, Okay, I I do have a strange one. Um, I I was actually born in Michigan, Traveler's City, Michigan. Um, Moved to Texas when I was uh, just a few months old. But the impetus for that move is was that um, there was a death threat leveled against my mother and me, and so we decided. My dad decided it would be a good time to move. So I've had a death threat as a small infant. I've had a death threat leveled against me. There's an interesting tidbit that not many people know. It doesn't relate much to pipes other than I survived it, obviously. And so now I can make pipes. Wow. Yeah. You may not be able to elaborate, but uh, uh, (laughs) can you you give us any more details? Well, I'll I'll just say that it involves it court testimony on behalf of my dad, and it, invi- it involved some disputes over um, uh, some 
labor lawsuits out that. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty heavy duty. It was heavy duty. Police were out at our house 24 hours a day. Dad sleeping with a shotgun in his lap by the front door and the whole nine yards. It was. Uh, well, I, I sleep with a shotgun in my lap all the time anyway. That's. <laughs> I live in Georgia. Well, that's that's, that's pretty you normal. Live in Georgia. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's good because you live in Georgia. So uh, when you're not working on uh, on pipes and and doing your full time job and uh, hanging out with your family, besides all that, if if there is something else, which there may not be, because I can't imagine you have any more time. But um, what else do you like to do? If I can find the time, I love to fly fish. I love fly fishing. In fact, when I, uh, you know, I, I was not making and selling pipes for about seven years. Um, with 2005, when I mentioned, I decided to take a break from that and gave away Pipe Makers Forum and all that sort of stuff. Um, in, in that time, I couldn't not make stuff. I could not create. Um, I had to be out in the shop some. And so... I learned how to make bamboo fly rods during that time. And it was a hoot and I love it. And I love fishing with bamboo fly rods. And so I love to, uh, I love to fly fish when I get a chance. Now that's a strange thing to enjoy since I have spent most of my life in Midland, Texas where the nearest body of water is about 150 miles away. And it's not even that significant a body of water, um, 150 miles away. But I, uh, I love to fly fish. So, so how far away do you have to go now? Now that you're in Oklahoma City to do some fly fishing? Well, I, well, if if I am willing to fly fish for warm water fish, which I am, I can walk about a hundred yards out my front door to a tiny little lake slash big pond. I don't know what you'd call it. That's in my neighborhood. So wow, I'm, I can that's go about hundred yards and wet a line now. And uh, I haven't done it yet because I've been um busy getting moved in and building building the workshop but um and it's been so cold since it's warm water fish I hadn't expected the bass to be super excited about eating a popper on the top of the water while it's forty degrees outside. But but yeah I can I can I can fly fish now right out my front door. Very cool. But well, I, that's, that's I still definitely... I can drive about four or five hours if I want to catch a trout, which that's my favorite. Yeah, well, that's that's still that's still nice though. It is. That's a lot nicer than it was before. That's for sure. I certainly had to drive further than four or five hours before, but I can always scratch the itch now by catching a bass or a little sunfish or something. And where can we purchase your pipes? Um, two places. My own website, Tyler Lane Pipes, still exists and is up. Um, it, uh, Honestly, though, I'm, I'm pretty lazy about keeping it updated, which is bad. But I, I, I not very often do pipes show up there. Um, the other choice is Nick at Quality Briars has uh, is is a retailer for me, and I've been um, in all this moving transition very bad at keeping him with anything either. Um, but those are the two normal outlets. Um, Probably, though, honestly, the best way to buy one is to follow me on Twitter or Instagram because I usually will take a picture of a pipe in process as I'm going and it's so easy to just, with both of those two 
um, a social media thing. It's so easy with my phone to snap a picture, punch two or three buttons, and and kind of post an in progress or even look what I just finished sort of photo. And and honestly, I kind of sell them from that very often, and they never make it to any of the outlets. So um, I have a Facebook page too, Tyler Lane Pipes, and Tyler Lane Pipes is my Twitter handle, and I think my Instagram might be Tyler L. Beard. And all three of those are sort of linked. So if you follow one, you're following the same thing on all three of them. Um, but honestly, that's probably the best way to social media outlets because I, I can be a whole lot more active there with a lot less effort. And most people are kind of paying attention that usually that's all I have to do. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to, to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure, Ali, and thank you for, for doing this podcast. I, I I seriously listen to it several times a week on my commute and listen to the same podcast over and over. And uh, Man, I, I appreciate the service you're doing the pipe community. I, my only complaint about it is you need to do it more often. Yeah, no kidding. I would, I would love to do it more <laughs> often. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so busy. I'm man. I'm teasing you. I know it's a lot of work. I know it's a lot of work. It is, but I sure love to do it because it's great to meet guys like you, and and uh, it, it's uh, it's just great to know more about the community and to to share all that that information back out to the community so that people can become more aware of uh, the humanity behind uh, the artistry. It's 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 a great thing, and it's it's a, a pleasure. Well, it is, I'm, and I, I, I could get going here again. I, I know we're trying to wrap it up, but Kylie, that's the thing. The humanity behind the artistry, that's kind of the thing I love about this pipe-making thing. You know, it's the humanity behind the collectors, too. I mean, it's all just such a fun, like I said earlier, the whole relationship thing is such a neat part about this. It's such a neat community. I, You know, I, uh, other pipe-makers, collectors, it's it's a load of fun. I mean, there's, there's several pipe-makers that I Skype with all the time while we're in the shop, and we're just sitting there. On our computers, we might not say a word to one another for 20 minutes, and then we'll hold something up to the camera and say, "Hey, dude, what do you think of this?" And um, so, yeah, it's uh, the whole community and your involvement um, in kind of bringing it together and making us all familiar with other people we might not know. It's it's great. You do us a great service, and just really love your podcast. So so keep it up. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. And that was my chat with the smart, talented, and ever-genial Mr. Tyler Beard. What a great guy. Don't forget to check out qualitybriar.com, the place where you go for high-end artisan pipes. Nick does a great job rounding up hard-to-find pieces from top-tier carvers, so go check it out and let me know what you get. This is Oli from oompal.com, wishing you very good luck getting your hands on one of Tyler's pipes so that it can be next in your collection.